Hello and welcome to Bondcast, a podcast series where we discuss our views on the latest themes and events shaping rates markets. I'm Imogen Bakra, European Rate Strategist, and I'm joined today by our Global Market Specialists, Gerald Scale, Theo Chapsalis and Janna Brucey. Before getting into the discussion today, I just wanted to quickly remind you to hit the subscribe button so you can listen to our latest episodes as soon as they're available. So a very busy week in markets this week that have been very volatile, um, I guess mostly led by the UK. So let's start with you, Theo. Um, what's been going on? Why have markets been quite so volatile? I think a lot has to do with the BOE communication, which um, is seen as confusing at best. So over the weekend, we had uh, some comments, both from MPC member Saunders and Governor Bailey, that were a bit of the hawkish side. And um, Saunders is known to be a hawk, so we, we understand it, this made a lot of sense. Uh, from Bailey, it was more neutral, I would say, and it created higher short-dated rates. Now, a big fear in the UK market is policy mistake and what extent an early tightening will uh, lead to a slowdown in the economy. So on Monday, we saw front-end rates uh, you know, rise substantially higher. Um, and then on Tuesday, we saw actually appetite to receive it. One of the things for us, which I think is, is, is interesting, is really that the UK has been quite um, a consensus short. Uh, it has been one of the most crowded short positions. Uh, one of the themes that we discussed is, for example, that um, specific bonds, everything which is sub seven years in the guild market trade, special in repo, so a lot of short-dated bonds are special, but also some of the back-end bonds are very expensive in repo. For example, the 30-year benchmark is particularly expensive in repo, which reveals that investors are short the bond. Now, are they short in spreads? Are they short because they're in steepeners? Are they short because they have cross-market shorts? They are in shorts. Now, from Tuesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and we're recording now on Thursday, those shorts did unwind, and I think it, it did make sense. So that unwind of shorts created all that volatility. And that volatility passed through to other markets and, well, um, you know, the implications, but it is a made in the UK uh, move. And yes, you're right. It's kicked off because of what happened on the front end uh, this, this week, but then it permeated, it fed through to the back end of the curve. And it's really now a back end story, back end volatility. So we've had, you know, some of this is a bit of a, a cleanup of positioning then. Um, and you wrote at, a note earlier this week, which listeners can find on, on Agile if they have access around um, your views and direction from here, I guess, in terms of your 10-year target, because I know that's something that you've been talking about a lot this week. Um, with a bit of cleaner positioning and, and some volatility behind us now, are you holding on to that 1% target in 10-year, or do you feel like now's the moment to change, given that, that we have reached that target in either direction? Yeah, I think this is a fantastic question. Um, is it targeted with head since March? Um, and we've had that when 10-year yields were at 0.5% and when yields were at 1.2%, which was actually on Monday. So we are keeping this target. The reason why we keep this target is because we do have an economy which will be inflationary. Inflation prints will be um, above 6%. It comes to RPI prints. They will be above 6%. Um, in early, mid-2022. So that environment is not conducive to fixed income. At the same time, we do have a BOE that is quite eager to deliver tightening, which, in which case 
we talk about a two-stance flattener. So if I take all those points together, I do have an environment where 10-year rates will struggle to move far away from the current levels as things stand. So for the time being, um, you know, we're still a bit above um, 1%. So does it make us uh, mildly bullish decay? Yeah, it does, uh, based on the forecast. But we do keep that 1% forecast simply because we think that structurally, the story has not changed. And this is why we've pushed against those who suggested to me, you know, maybe to consider revising the forecast higher. Is there any conditions that you're watching closely that would make you shift that forecast in either direction? Sure, I guess um, the way is the, the way that uh, we look at the market, that I look at the market is really the, 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 the drivers. And if we have a change in the significant in, in, in the main drivers of the market and the, the, you know, the composition of forces pulls it to either direction, we will we are happy to, to change that. This is not, you know, a sacred number, the one percent. Um, but what we feel is that you know, if there is a specific backup in rates, say we talk about a 20 to 30 basis point backup, as we saw, uh, there will be appetite to buy fixed income. We are aware that there is appetite to buy fixed income. Um, if at the same time, we think that there is, you know, some rally because of uh, fears of, you know, a global slowdown, we, we understand that uh, macro players will likely step in and sell again the UK market. So are the reasons? Um, well, if inflation proves to be high, much, much stickier than what uh, the market price is in and what we expect, you know, one, one key risk is what happens to QE. And if QE reinvestments stop indeed in February, this means that overall yield yields will have to be one higher. And we talk about a more volatile market. So more premium will need to be demanded for someone to hold yields. So this will be quite an important driver. Uh, the pace of the economy and the, the pace of the recovery. So basically to what extent, you know, growth continues as it is, or we do have indeed a slowdown. So there are a lot of different factors. It's, it's really hard to pinpoint. I mentioned some that, 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 that are on top of my head, but, um, you know, as things start, the 1% is still, uh, you know, a level that we like. It is a view that um, we like. And we think that in relative terms, I mean, the UK can do well relative to other markets. This is also one point that we mentioned in, in our note earlier this week, that the UK has got scope to outperform simply because it did underperform massively. It did underperform treasuries in a sell-off over the last six weeks. So there is some scope for the UK market uh, to catch up. Yeah, I think that makes sense and, and fits with what we've been saying on the European side. You know, we've been talking about fairly significantly higher yields still in the euro area, whereas you're obviously hovering close to your sort of longer term target in 10-year guilt. So that brings me nicely over to you then, Giles. You know, Europe has has also been volatile this week, but has really followed the UK market and well, been led by other global markets, I should say. Is that right? Should we really be talking about a policy mistake in Europe as well? I suppose to the extent that you were thinking about it anywhere else, then it's something that we ought to be entertaining. But I don't think we should be entertaining anywhere, to be honest with you. I mean, I'm just absolutely astounded that people think that you know, we are on the verge of a policy mistake when nothing's happened yet. I mean, we haven't had, we haven't started tapering. We haven't started raising rates, even in the UK. Um, the idea that 
the that central bankers are going to see through a year's worth of tightening in the face of in the face of macro indicators falling off a cliff it's not going to happen i i, I mean I, I really can't see it and it's you know we were just discussing with the wider team about how you know it's it, it's strange the way that you know we've got this sort of attempt to price in a policy mistake which involves steepening out five years and then flattening thereafter as if you're going to get this extended policy car crash if you like which justifies a steeper five year and then after that it's just lights out you know, and you know, go home and you know, you're back into a, uh, a low inflation trap and so on it's just it just doesn't make sense <laughs> I'm not sure I've ever seen Giles so animated. <laughs> we should talk about policy oh, mistakes. Well, I think I just had a sugary drink. <laughs> <laughs> so, so okay, let's focus on what you're saying on the curve. And you were talking about because we've obviously had this kind of aggressive flattening in in um, Europe at five thirties. We've been talking a lot, you know, prior to this. I guess this policy mistake theme is is a new one, really, that's only just come up, you know, really over the last week or so. Um, but we've been talking for a long time before that about steepness. So you think that this kind of move that we've seen in the curve is is completely the wrong one, then? Yeah. Look, I mean, I think one of, one of the things that I mean, I learned a very long time ago is that markets are really, really bad at looking around corners and trying to sort of price in path dependency, if you like. So, you know, it'll it'll be great, but then somebody will make a mistake and it'll all be work, and it'll all be bad. I mean, that that sort of thing, it just doesn't work like that. No, the, the world is much too complicated. And so, you know, I, I really, really think that at this sort of, I mean, I understand, of course, that people look at the curve and they go, right, you know, Deal curve is my kind of recession indicator, and so you know if if I think that we're going to see much slower growth, then you know, maybe even a recession. I don't know if people really are talking about that seriously. It doesn't seem like it, but you know, whatever. I mean, if you were, then you might expect to see a, an inverted curve. But front end rates are zero, so where are you going to get that curve inversion, right? So it's got. You have to have some steepness in order for there to be an, an inversion thereafter. So, you know, maybe that is kind of the way that people are looking at this. But as I say, it, it, it just doesn't make sense. Either there's a, a significant slowdown in growth coming, in which case rates need to rally. Right. I mean, I do not see at this stage. No, I mean, it's not, it's not impossible. Everybody remembers, or you know, if they have, don't remember it, you know, it's not even my case. Uh, they've read about it. You know, they, 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 they talk about the 70s. And of course, they, yeah, you genuinely had a stagflation problem. You now here, I think it is much more likely that to the extent that inflation is a problem, it's kind of reflecting bottlenecks that are likely to bring growth lower. And then you, know, you do get this sort of, Dissipation. Um, you know, I'd just like to stress all along and still now, our strong base case is that we don't see this mix. We're much more likely to see relatively higher inflation and pretty decent growth. Okay. And I'm pretty confident that central bankers will respond to that. What they won't do is tighten aggressively into moderately higher inflation and significantly slowing growth. That's just, I mean, we, it, it could happen far down the line if we, you know, if we have a, a, gen, a genuinely 
worrying wage price kind of spiral in a sort of 70s style, that is a very long way from where we are. Maybe I'll just yeah. add before you pipe up there, Imogen. <laughs> but, uh, another thing that we were just commenting on before um, before coming up to do the recording was uh, was Blanchard, who uh, who was saying, uh, I'm not quite sure who picked up, but he was saying, no, we're not talking about inflation, right? Stagflation. Um, now, what we're seeing is very strong growth, very strong recovery growth, but so strong that it's actually testing the supply side of the economy very different situation. I think we're going to make a stagflation jar on our desk. Every time someone says it, they have to put in two pounds <laughs> and we'll be taking it all for drinks at the end of the year. All right, then. Um, that was actually everything that I wanted from you, Jars. And like I said, I've never seen you so animated on the podcast. <laughs> I think we should talk about policy mistakes and stagflation more often. Um, so, Jan, then, over to you. Um, I want to know what less about policy mistakes really and just about the policy path for the Fed. We've had a busy week of data since we last spoke. Um, I think when we last recorded the podcast, we were just, uh, I think it was on Wednesday or Thursday pre-NFP, so obviously put you in a difficult position there. And, and we've now had that print that came much lower than market expectations. So focusing just on that for a second and putting aside, you know, everything else that we've, you know, the other data and the minutes, et cetera, this week, how does that make you feel about tapering path? You know, was that too low that it kind of puts into question a, a tapering anytime soon? Or do you think that even though it was much lower than expectations, that's still enough that they can justify a taper? So the short answer to that is no, I don't think it was too low to derail uh, the Federal Reserve from starting taper in November. And mainly, uh, I understand the headline number, of course, at like slightly over 200,000 was well below expectations. But we have to look at, you know, the revisions that we got a little bit below the hood of the, under the hood of the release. And what we saw was the last two months had something uh, net, uh, net upward adjustment of 169,000 jobs. So th that's a massive uh, shift upwards that we didn't know uh, before we got the number. So all, all, consensus expectations should have been adjusted uh, with that in mind. You know, when we hear, when we hear 500,000 expected and we, we see the last two months getting adjusted upwards by, uh, again, almost uh, slightly below 200,000, to me, to me, that indicates that that uh, 194,000 payroll that we got in, uh, that we got the last week wasn't really that weak. Additionally, other factors such as uh, strong average, average hourly earnings, you know, gives uh, more confidence to the Fed, unemployment rate going down. Of course, a little bit of the unemployment rate going down was due to labor force, uh, labor force participation rate, which is uh, going down, which is not what the Fed wants. But still, I don't think it was bad enough. I think it was certainly decent enough what Chairman Powell was looking for at the September FOMC meeting. So I think this fits this decent enough criteria and taper should be on track to start in, uh, in November. I suppose the, you know, stronger than expected inflation print this month that we got yesterday just reinforces that view, really. Yeah, I think that the inflation print was was interesting. Uh, and what I have noticed over the past month, the narrative of FOMC officials and just sort of what we've been hearing has shifted slightly and somewhat subtly into, into more of a uh, less so stressing how transitory it is and a little bit more into 
it is still transitory, but it might last a little bit longer than we think. You know, there's a little bit more uncertainty around how fast the transitory period is going to uh, is going to last. And the previous month's CPI numbers had sort of given the camp transitory a small victory, saying, "You see, inflation is going. Infl- the increase in inflation is going down. It, it, it was transitory." And then the narrative changed, and then we got the uh, this month's CPI number, which was above expectations. Uh, so where does that leave us? I think in the grand scheme of things, this slight beat of, uh, of consensus isn't really going to change the, the longer term dynamic. Like Giles said, you know, they're not going to rush to hike into in, in the face of this. Uh, but, but it does kind of reinforce this narrative of a little more uncertainty around the inflation outlook. This shift in narrative around the kind of inflation outlook, was that reflected in the minutes as well that we um, got yesterday from the September meeting? Or were there any other kind of key takeaways from those minutes that, that should matter for markets? So in the minutes, I got two main takeaways that I think uh, really are kind of critical at, at this stage in time uh, with respect to Fed's reaction function. The first, let's start with inflation. The, the prevailing dynamic in the minutes was still that most FOMC officials see inflation as transitory. However, it did seem, again, consistent with that view that the, the uncertainty around inflation has increased. The supply chain bottlenecks that are causing inflationary pressures could last longer than previously anticipated. And things like of that order, just showing that the previous forecasts were maybe a little bit more optimistic on how fast inflation will be subdued. And maybe there's a, little, a wider band of uncertainty around how quickly this thing is gonna this thing is gonna go away. So uh, views going forward could be adjusted, but generally, the committee was still of the opinion that it is mostly transitory. And the other thing is, of course, in tapering, we did get, and that was the main thing I would say we were looking for in this minute in these minutes. And what we got was a lot a lot of detail. Really, they left the start date open to either mid November or mid December. Our base case is for uh, mid November. They kind of talked about the pace where they gave us an illustrative path, which was 10 billion of treasury reductions and 5 billion in MBS reductions a month and on a monthly basis rather than on a uh, on a meeting by meeting basis, which means that if they start in November, they should end mid next year as they planned. And that seems that that's what gave the market a little bit more confidence, I guess, that hikes could come as early as September uh, 2022. Uh, just a reminder to listeners, we don't have hikes priced in, uh, sort of forecasted hikes well into 2023, so Q3, 2023. So, so I think those are the two really key factors in the minutes. The tapering outlook, we got all the details that we we're looking for, and inflation for me it seemed to be a little bit more, I guess, kind of a wider view in, in there as opposed to uh, concentrated on transitory. Right. All views, all views, all eyes on the um, November FOMC then. Um, All right, guys, I think that's all we have time for today. Uh, Markets are particularly busy this week, so I'll let you all get back to them and we'll catch up next week. Um, I'd just like to remind listeners, if they like today's episode, please hit the like button to show your appreciation uh, and don't forget to subscribe so you can listen to our latest episodes as soon as they're available. Thanks. Catch up next week.